reading this morning from Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And the Bible says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask you again for your blessings on the message now, Lord. We pray that you would speak and minister to hearts, Lord, that through this message will be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're coming to a portion of the book I've preached to other places, other churches, and so if you've caught any of those online at some point in the past, I know when I was candidating, some of you found some of my online sermons and listened to me on there, which is fine, but just so you know, I'll probably incorporate some of that into this message this morning because the topic is very much the same uh, as I would preach anywhere else, and that is really unity within the church or unity within the body of Christ, unity among Christians in general is what Paul is talking about here. This is such an important passage to church unity, uh, as well as Christians in general. If we truly follow the principles in this passage, I want you to understand this. If we truly follow, live out, practice these principles in this passage, you'll never have a church split. You'll never leave a church angry. You'll never have a Christian that you refuse to ever talk to again. You'll never, you'll never break up friendships over. I mean, obviously, there are things to break up friendships over. There are, you know, a friend goes off into heresy and becomes a Jehovah's Witness. I think there's a strong grounds to break off that friendship. But, I, but I, what I mean is the petty stuff that we break up friendships over today, right? Let's be honest. Most of the people that we're mad at that are Christians, we're not mad at them because they're Jehovah's Witnesses, right? We're mad at them because they offended us, yeah. hurt our feelings, right? They didn't do things our way. They, they, they don't agree on some insignificant thing. You know, they believe that Cain had blonde hair. I believe he had red hair. I mean, stuff like that that we break fellowship over. If we truly listen to what Paul is saying here, that'll never be a problem in our lives. Church problems come because Christians don't obey Philippians 2, 1 through 7. Friendships end because people don't obey Philippians 2, 1 through 7. This is such a crucial passage to me. Um, I, I, as you know from my many stories, I, had a, I once had a pastor, right? <laughs> Copyright 2023. That, I need to write that book. <laughs> I grew up in church. I've seen. I've seen trouble. I have. Um, I've seen people get mad and leave. I've seen people follow them out. You know. I don't know every situation, especially when I was younger. But I've told you about my grandmother and her problem with the two pastors. She let them have it. And she just, right to their face, like, like Paul to Peter, I think you're wrong. But she never left the church, never badmouthed the pastors, submitted to them and their leadership, even though she had disagreed. She just wanted to speak her peace and why she disagreed with them. But God had put her there. Uh, that church, after the, the, the second pastor left, went through great splits. Factions began to rise up. People seeking control of the church. This group led by this man, and this group led by this man, this group, until a 300-person church was down to about 50 people because of jockeying for position. 
Now, praise the Lord, some 27 years later or so, they're a good, strong church today. Uh, church I went to in Bakersfield before coming here. I went there a couple, several times over an 18-year period, but uh, the pastor that was there when I was, when I was a kid growing up, we moved there when I was nine, uh, he passed away in 2001. And the church fell into almost immediately factions of people. To the point where one group so idolized the pastor that they, they didn't want a new pastor. Nobody else can do what he did here. This was his church. So they began to break off and to go form their own church where they put a picture of him in the front and played tapes of his preaching. And that was their Sunday service. Actually it happened. Yeah. The people that stayed behind, they called the pastor, but then didn't like him very much. You know, he moved into the other pastor's office and changed things and repainted. And that's his office. Why are you repainting his office? It's looked that way for 20 years. He said, well, he's, he's dead. It's my office now. Right. That's, well, that's his car. Well, no, the church owns the car. He's dead. He can't drive it. So I drive it now. Well, you shouldn't have that car. We're going to take it and give it to the, the widow of the pastor. Because, you know, you shouldn't have that. That's his car. I mean, I mean, it just broke into factionalism. They called this pastor in. and See, secretly, the assistant pastor, he wanted to be pastor. So he was a public supporter of the pastor, but secretly was whispering, forming a faction of his own kind of secretly. Then one day, that pastor was preaching, and uh, they stood up and they said, "We, we, you need to be, you need to be kicked out. You need to be voted out of, out of this church. You're, you shouldn't be our pastor anymore." The pastor said, "Why? We preach false doctrine." He said, "Okay, well, lay out the false doctrine I've preached publicly." Well, we don't have to do that. You just need to go. This is our church. So they called for a vote. And so he looked at the assistant pastor and said, you know me and my manner of life and my doctrine. And at that point he said, ah. Oh. And he stood up, he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm on their side. I'm on their side. Now, that pastor was voted out and left the church, but there's so much factionalism that the assistant pastor who got all this stirred up couldn't get a consensus behind him because they liked him as the leader to overthrow the other pastor but didn't want him as their pastor so he never survived that and he ended up leaving the church when the other group came back over to the church and for years I mean four or five years the church had no pastor and during that time different people some deacons, some trustees, some just regular laymen in the church were fighting for control. This kind of stuff happens in churches. You understand that. I know a church, and I'm not going to share the story out loud, but I, I, know, I know of a pastor today who I, I happen to know him personally. He was called to candidate at this church. And he went. And he candidated at this church. And the church likes him. The church knows him. The church offered him the position. And they said, make your decision by such and such a date. The day comes, make his decision. And he gets a call. Well, the other pastor that's retiring, he's decided not to move away. So he's going to stay in the church, and we're going to take half your salary and give it to him. And so now it's bivocational. Oh, and by the way, there was a sex scandal here 20 years ago where a youth pastor molested somebody, and the pastor, it was, he was related to the pastor. The pastor covered it up. She's going public now. She'll have to deal with that too. How, how do you go into a church where the pastor who covered up the sex crime is still there getting half your salary. 
I told the pastor friend who told me that. I hope he runs away from that. That church is about to break into affections. They're going to have torn loyalty between the, the retiring pastor and the current pastor. I went to one church years ago. The one when I was in high school. I told you about, I told you about him. I always call him the, my older pastor. He was 72 when I was going there. I was 17. Great man. Spent a lot of time with him. When he retired, he put an end to factionalism in his church. He stayed there in the church. He retired. He, he became a member of the church. Stayed there. Didn't take a salary. And the new pastor came in. And every time the new pastor made a decision that was different than what they'd been doing, people came to him. Pastor so-and-so, what do you think about that? That's not how we do stuff here. His answer is always very simple. He's the pastor. God put him here. If God's leading him to do that, then let him do it. That's a man of God right there. That's a man of God that says, I have no... One time he told me, he goes, I have no more authority in this church. I have the, the same amount you do. When we vote on something as a church, I have a vote. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have authority here. But you see how quickly among professing Christians, how easy it is for us to break into factions and to seek power and control. And you say, Pastor, you're only saying that because you're the pastor and you don't want someone to rise up against you. No, that's not what I'm saying. If I'm wrong biblically... By all means, confront me on it. But what I don't want is for us to ever act like unbelievers. The church is not a place for power or control. It's a place for worship. If we follow Philippians 2, none of that I just told you would ever have taken place. Ever. I've been... Part of other churches, or I've been around other churches, maybe not ones I attended, where I saw the same thing. People rising up for control, to have a voice, to have a say. People fighting. People, we, I told you about the story about we, uh, our last church in Bakerfield. Somebody got mad at the pastor. This is back in 2012-ish. Got mad at the pastor, and they had it right. I know the situation, the pastor was wrong. He was. But when the pastor's wrong, you don't just gather your toys and go to a different playground. That's not how we deal with problems as a family. But they did. They gathered their toys and went to the playground. And their close friends followed them. Where are you guys going? Well, the Lord's put it on our heart to get an older pastor who has lived more of life and gives more wisdom. Really? God led you to do that the, the very week your friends got mad and left and you ended up at the same church they're at, even though there's a sister church closer to your house that has an even older pastor with more wisdom. No, you're following your friends where they're going. If they believed and lived Philippians 2, that would never happen. I've been to churches where people get mad and they leave and they start a phone tree to call to get everybody else to leave with them. To tell them what happened. If we lived and believed Philippians 2, that wouldn't happen. Do you understand that? Church is a family. That's what the Bible says. Right? We are the body of Christ. We are family, brothers and sisters. You don't, if you shouldn't, get in a fight with your spouse and gather your things and go somewhere else and find somebody else. That's what the world does. So I, I get worked up on this passage because I've seen so often people who just, you know, we, we, we've been talking to people recently, some people at our old church, just picked up a different church. Just didn't like it there anymore. Is that what the Bible says we should do? I just don't like it anymore. We'll find something else. Sure glad my wife doesn't do that. Because we're family. You don't just, oh, I'm bored. I want something different. I'm going to find something new. It's happening far too often. I remember when uh, at our last church, the pastor had left in 2017. This new pastor came in. And I, I love him. And I fully supported him. This couple in the church 
and never came back. They weren't there for his candidate either. They never met him, never heard him preach. When someone asked, why don't you come back to church? Oh, we don't like how he runs things. You don't know how he runs things. You've never met the man. Of course, they dropped out of church for the next five years. It was really a cover for their sins. They didn't want to be, this is, this is an opportunity now, right? To just kind of slip away. If we lived and believed Philippians 2, this wouldn't happen. I want to preface this by saying I'm not hinting at problems in our own church. Sometimes the pastor preaches a message, and everyone sits and goes, who's he talking to? What's going on? What don't we know? Right? <laughs> and so I'm not talking about Brother Earl this morning. I'm thinking about him. I'm not talking about him. No, I, I'm not talking about any problems in our church. I'm not speaking about anyone in code or secretly. There's no issue I'm dealing with here. This is just the next text in line, and I'm preaching what it says. There is gossip, there is slander, there is factions and dissension in the church. Not this church, not today, but maybe someday. We need to hear this message. Oftentimes, Christians don't act like Christians in how they treat one another, and I find it disheartening. We are called to be Christ-like. You understand that, right? When your enemy hungers, feed him. When he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Christ, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. It's not our place to return evil for evil. Well, Pastor, you don't know what they did or said about me. I don't care. Listen, you're not going to be judged for what they said about you. You're judged for your reaction to what they said about you. You and I will stand before Christ, not for how others treated us, but how we treated them in response to how they treated us. Do you understand that? That's serious stuff. We've got to be so careful. So careful. This church in the past has experienced fractioning and splits. Honestly, I, I wasn't here for it. I do remember this, though. When I came here last January to preach just for when COVID went around, there's a lot more people here than there is now. Let's just be honest with ourselves. It's happened here before. We need to hear this. How do we treat one another within the church? How do we deal with problems? As Because they're going to arise. Problems come up in families. Nobody gets along perfectly all the time, except for me, maybe. Just kidding. <laughs> we don't either. There's problems. Sometimes she beats me at games and I get mad at her. 99% of our fights come from playing games. I'm just being honest with you guys. The other 1% is her not understanding my ex eccentricities. Anyways... I promise you, every split and every fracturing in a church is due to somebody living in disobedience to the Word of God. It is. Do you know why Paul and Barnabas split? Remember how they split company? Yes. Over, over Mark? I don't know. The Bible doesn't lay blame for that. But I'll tell you this, somebody was to blame. Probably both of them were to blame. Egos clashing, pride clashing. Church is not a place for ego and for pride. It's not. If we obey what Paul says here, we will have uninterrupted unity in the church of Christ. Church is not a place for politics. Let me say that. I remember the uh, church we came from, when the last pastor first came in there, before I got there, he came into a hornet's nest of just everyone vying for control of the church. And so they'd have a business meeting, and he'd have one of the deacons come to him and say, I represent certain people in the church and their point of view. And then people have another deacon come to him, well, I'm representing this group and their point of view. And he's, he's just like, this, this isn't the place for, this isn't Congress. You don't represent factions within the church. That was going on. 
It's not a place for politics. It's not a place for agendas. It's not a place for us to make ourselves important. When it comes to major issues of the church, I try to maintain a, if we're not unified, we're not going to do it. Because it doesn't matter what my will is for the church. If the church isn't unified, I'm not going to break unity. It goes back to that pastor I know. I've mentioned him once or twice before in Canada. He's, not, he's retired now, but when he was there, he, they, were, they, they had a sign with a message, you know, sign outside the church. And they were, he wanted to switch over to an electric sign so they could change it from inside the church because in Winnipeg it gets to 40 below zero in the winter. And he was in his 70s and didn't want to be out there changing the sign letter by letter. And it caused the division and it caused the fight. People disagreed with it. And when he finally voted on it, he won by one vote and told the church, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it because I'll just keep going out there in the cold weather and changing the sign by hand because I'm not going to break the unity of the church over a stupid sign. That taught me a lot. It's not a place for agendas. If we're not going to be unified, we're not going to do it because that's what this is about. It's about unity in the spirit. It's not about what I think or you think is best for the church. It's about treating each other as Christ would do. That's how we're to act with one another. It's not a place for agendas. It's not a place for us to make ourselves important. By the way, this can happen to pastors too. Pastors are not kings. They're servants. So a lot of pastors who think they deserve to be served within the church. That's not biblical at all. We need to be on guard against that. I need to be on guard against that. Problems in the church often arise after several reasons, all of which are antithetical to being a, a spirit-filled Christian. Where do problems in the church come from? Pride, jealousy, envy, self-will, and personal ambition. Those are the, most often the root cause of problems in the church, of a breaking of unity within the church. The obvious key to avoid fighting among believers is to live and walk in the spirit. That's the key. You realize that me and Tatsuo are both living and walking in the Spirit. We'll never be at odds with each other. Because the Spirit within us won't allow that to happen. We're to live and walk in the Spirit. That seems a little vague, I know. How do you live and walk in the Spirit? Paul's going to tell us in our text here in just a minute. Our text deals with, really, what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian. So let's start in verse 1 of the text. All that was just kind of introduced the, the topic. Verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. The chapter starts with therefore. You guys know what that means, right? It points back to what was previously said. Remember, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was one continuous letter. So when therefore or wherefore come up, He's making a statement responding back to something he previously said. In chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, Paul talks about persecution and suffering. Then in chapters 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, so in light of your persecution and suffering, look at your consolation in Christ. That's what he's saying. You're suffering, hardship, persecution, but there is consolation for you in Christ. Comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, bowels and mercies. Think of it this way. He says, as you suffer, you're receiving consolations from the grace of Christ. So what are the consolations they get from the grace of Christ? Look at verse 1. They get comfort from the love of God. They know the truth that Paul expresses in Romans 8.28. Right? All things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. The Philippians know this. This is why they're rejoicing in their sufferings. Say, Pastor, how can I rejoice in my suffering? You need to understand and believe that all things work together for good to those who love God, Amen. to those who are the called according to his purpose. Regardless of what comes, it is all working for your good. If you believe that, you're not going to be mad about anything. You might get stressed. You might get under pressure. I understand that. But it'll never get you down 
when you understand this is for your good. Paul gets locked up in prison and he's like, I rejoice. This is for the spread of the gospel. How is the gospel spreading? Paul's like, well, I'm spreading it in the prison in the house of Caesar. And these guys out here, they're preaching, trying to add affliction to my bonds. But praise the Lord, they're preaching. And if I was out there, they wouldn't be out preaching. So there's more of them out preaching while I'm in here. So being in here has actually come to the spread of the gospel. And so Paul's rejoicing. It's for good. God doesn't mean us evil. If you understand that, you can suffer well. All things work together for good, regardless of what it is. They know that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. As Paul talks about Romans chapter 8. Turn there. Let's, let's read it real quick as a reminder. Romans 8. 35 to 39. Bible says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, what, what things? Being accounted sheep for the slaughter, right? Being killed all the day long. In, 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 in those things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor the things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a blessed passage. I, I love how he says that, right? We, we are in tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And in those things, what things? Peril, nakedness, famine, sword, persecution, tribulation. In those things, we're more than conquerors. There's great peace available to the suffering Christian. You understand the, the peace that we have offered to us? So when Jesus was on the cross, was he losing the battle? He was not, right? He was victorious on the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers on the cross. He defeated death through the cross, through his death, right? In his throes of final defeat to his enemies, he was actually the most victorious he had ever been in his ministry in that moment of time. It's the same for us, church. In our suffering, in our distress, in our persecution, in our want, our famine, our nakedness, in our being accounted as sheep for the slaughter, in that thing, we are victorious. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but for those of you who were there for movie night last month, you watched John Huss get burned to the stake. Boy, he lost, didn't he? Well, his enemies thought so. As they gather around and watch him burn, finally that troublemaker is out of our hair. He was victorious in that moment. He had triumphed in that moment. Paul is in prison, in chains, and yet he's in triumph. He's victorious. They, they never have us beat. Because in all of our suffering, we are victorious. Because Christ is victorious. That's a great comfort he's giving to these believers. Go back to Philippians chapter 1 or 2. There's comfort, especially in trial or suffering, that God loves us. And regardless of what happens to us here, nothing can separate us from that love. That's their consolation. If any comfort of love. That's a comfort of love to know that in every situation you're in, you are victorious because of the love of Christ. Can you imagine that? The next consolation is fellowship in the Spirit. Whether in church, a sickbed, 
a prison. You and I have constant fellowship of God through the Spirit. We're never cut off from God. You understand that? Corey Ten Boom talks about being locked away for months in a prison cell by herself. But she wasn't alone. She had the Spirit of God. She had God there to commune with. Amen. You understand that we're never cut off from God. That's right. They can cut us off from every person we know, never from God. That's right. So they still lose. We're still victorious. Because their goal is to isolate and to cut us off. They can't do it. They can't do it. Whether you're in church, whether you're in the hospital, whether you're in prison, wherever you're at, you have fellowship with God through the Spirit. You're never alone. There's great consolation to that. God can speak to us. We can speak to him through his Spirit. He can cheer us, comfort us, reassure our hearts through the Spirit. The next consolation is bowels and mercies. This means affections and sympathies. God sympathizes with our sufferings. That's a consolation they're receiving in their persecution. He suffers with us. Remember Acts 9.4? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Had Saul ever lifted a finger physically against Christ? No. He had been persecuting Christ's followers. And Christ so closely identified with his followers that persecuting them was persecuting him. You understand that? He feels what we feel, especially since he has suffered all the things that we suffer, even to the point of torture and death. Nothing you go through, well, you don't understand my suffering, Pastor. I lost my fortune. The Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Well, I was betrayed by my close friends. Remember Judas? I was falsely accused. So was Jesus. I was hated by and shunned by everybody. So was Jesus. When he went to the cross, out of 12 men who followed him, only one came to the cross. That was John. The rest forsook him and fled. They're going to put me to death. So, so did they to Jesus. They want to lock me up in jail. So did they to Jesus. Nothing you and I can go through. Jesus hasn't been there first. That's a great con- consolation. He sympathizes with us. He knows what we're going through. Verse 2. In light of these consolations they've received, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul says that we're to be like-minded to one another, having the same love that God has for us, which will lead us to be of one accord, of one mind. In other words, it'll bring unity. So he says, you've received consolation from God in your suffering. Be like-minded and give others consolation in their suffering. That's what he's saying. That's the essence of it there. We put verses 1 and 2 together. Paul says, if you receive encouragement from the grace of Christ, then be like-minded and encourage others with love, fellowship, and sympathy, suffering with them. Now, how does this play out in real-time actions? Go on to verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We just fixed every problem in the church with that one verse. Every problem that could ever arise, every disunity between Christians, I just fixed it right there. You're welcome. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. In other words, don't do it through strife. Through argumentation, don't try to get your way, and don't do it for vainglory. We had a, a situation not long before we came here at our old church where there was these two girls, or maybe three girls, I've, I've lost track now. Let's just say two, I think it was just two, who were like starting a ministry and both fighting over whose ministry it is, who's really in charge. In other words, vainglory. I want the praise for doing this. So my wife, we can solve this problem if one of them just said, you know what? It's your ministry. I'll help you out. You take the lead. That would have solved every problem. 
Today, a year later, the one doesn't go there anymore. She went off to a college, and the other one doesn't go to church anymore. Is married to an, or engaged to an unbeliever. That's not how things are done in the church. We don't do things to get credit for ourselves. And we don't, there's strife. We don't fight. We don't bicker. In lowliness of mind, what does that mean? It means to think low of yourself. You know, if you think low of yourself, you will never have your pride hurt. You know, people get mad at the church. How dare he? Does he know who he's talking to? Does she know who she, does she know? I'm a big thing around here. I've been here since before they were born. If we have a lowliness of mind, that doesn't happen. We think, you know what? Tatsuo said some pretty rotten things about me, but I'm, I'm a pretty rotten person. I, I have problems. He's probably, you know, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to try to love him, but it doesn't get mad. Who does he think I, he's talking about? I do all this stuff for God. I'm God's number one God. What's, what's he speaking against me for? You know, R.C. Sproul says when people, when people talk about you, understand that you're so much worse than they said you to be in the first place or something like that. It's like, we have no room for pride. We're sinful people. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Well, you know what? Tatsuo said I'm a rotten preacher. He's probably right, but you know what? That Tatsuo, man, he is a gifted preacher. That's what it means. Esteem others better than yourself. You know what? Yeah, that was a bad decision. I should have asked Earl. He's smarter about that than I am. That's esteem others better. If you're esteeming others better than you, you're not going to have conflict. If I truly, in my heart, believe that Tatsuo is better at something than I am, I'm not going to get mad at him for it. I thought. It's when we think we're the answer to all the problems. We're the final solution. We always know the right way, and no one's better than us. We need to lower our thinking about ourselves. Humble ourselves and realize that put others first. If others are first, we're not going to be angry. I've been in restaurants. I used to be a really bad customer at restaurants, but I'm getting better at it. I used to have this attitude of, they haven't filled my drink for a while. What is wrong with them? I am a customer. They should. Thanks to the help of my wife and the Lord, I've calmed down a little bit. Whenever I get mad, I used to, I used to get, 10 years ago, I used to be really mad at it, but my wife is, you know, you know her. She never gets mad at anything. She's never upset a day in her life. And she goes, well, maybe it's their first day. Maybe, maybe they're really busy. Maybe they're having problems at home. It's just a tough day for them. I get mad at her for saying that, but she's right. Right? That's how I should be. I'm only mad because I'm convicted. That's how we should be looking at it. I'm the customer. I deserve to be taken care of. Well, maybe think, I don't know what they're going through. Maybe I should pray for them. Maybe I should be understanding towards them. Maybe it's their first day. And they're overworked and they're busy. And they don't know what they're doing. Maybe their husband just left them the night before. Took the kids. I don't know what's going on. I need to think less of myself and think better of somebody else. It's not their fault. It's probably something else causing this to happen. If we did that in the church, we wouldn't have splits in the church. Yes, Olivia was terse with me this morning. I took offense to it, so I'm going to leave and never talk to her again. Or I can say, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe she's got a touch of the cold or the flu. Maybe she's sick. Maybe she had a bad time at work this week. And they gave her a really hard time. and She didn't mean it. She didn't. I don't. But I'm saying, maybe if we thought less of ourselves, you know what? Olivia was kind of church with me, church with me this morning, but she's a better Christian than I am, so she must really be going through something. I'd be rude to her for over probably much less, so I'm going to forgive her for that because I don't know what she's going through. 
Boy, that'd solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? They're a better Christian than I am, so, you know, they didn't mean it. It wasn't intentional. We're commanded not to do anything through strife. We ought to treat others with gentleness and kindness. We ought not do anything, church, with a fighting spirit. That's really bad among Christians. I used to know this Christian pastor. He's, I didn't know him. I knew of him. I never met him. I don't, I don't believe he was saved. He's dead now. But he used to have a, a conference called the Bad Attitude Baptist Blowout. That should tell you all you need to know about this man. That's not the attitude of a Christian. We shouldn't be known as mean-spirited, angry people. When people hear us preaching, they shouldn't say, oh, there's those angry preachers again. I remember we were in uh, San Francisco for the Super Bowl 20-something, 16. We were outside the stadium in Santa Clara preaching, and uh, I had this police officer with a dog standing next to us the whole time, just dogs sniffing backpacks as they go by. And uh, we had these, you, you, know, you, know, you know them, coming down with their bullhorns, telling women to put on more clothes and men to stop. You know, they weren't preaching the gospel, they were just hateful, using words like whores and just that bad, you know, just calling people names, trying to hate preachers, we call them. He's seen them, I've seen them. And they come back and forth up down the street with their... There's signs saying God hates and, you know, the F word for, for gays. I'm not going to say it publicly, but you know what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, we were packing up and the police officer just said, I've stood here all day and listened to you guys. He goes, I can, I, I'm not a Christian, but I'll tell you this. You guys and those guys are not the same. You're not the same. The things you've been saying, the things they're saying, they're not the same. People shouldn't know us as our, for, for a fighting spirit. We should be bold to stand against compromise, evil, wicked, yes. But you can be bold and be kind-hearted at the same time. If you want evidence of that, I encourage you to go home today and look up a preacher on YouTube named Scott Smith. Street preacher, I know. What a guy. He, have you ever met Scott? Oh, Got to meet him. Scott Smith, I always say to him, he's my favorite street preacher. Because he, he, he's an older gentleman, probably in his 60s. And he's got such a gentleness about him. That even when he's calling you to repent, you want to say thank you for that, sir. He's so gentle. So firm, but so gentle. That's how we should be. Let nothing be done through strife. Not even preaching the gospel should be done through strife. I've seen pastors who, I had a pastor once, <laughs> who would pick men out in the church and set them against each other to fight so he knew who the strongest, most loyal person to him was. He called it, and this, he wasn't hiding it. Like when our, our, that's where I went to Bible Institute, was at the church, and he taught us, he called it the church pecking order. You got to get guys to fight like chickens to see who's the strongest and who's the most loyal. That's ungodly. That's not what the Bible teaches. I've seen Christians gossip and tear others down because they want their ministry or out of sheer jealousy. This is nonsense in the church. We are not to do anything through strife or for self-glory, vainglory. This means we shouldn't do anything to draw attention or praise for ourselves. John the Baptist said that he must decrease and Christ must increase. But many of us use Christ to increase ourselves, don't we? Our clout, our praise, our position. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the people we know who were trying to build their brand, build their platform, build their ministries, and they just jump into every debate, every social media debate, everything that's going Because they want, they want the, the fight. Because the more you fight, the more people know your name, and the more people know about you. Some Christians believe the old saying that no publicity is bad publicity. As long as they're talking about you. That's not Christian, guys. That's not how we're to be. 
Number one, pastors who are trying to build a brand outside of the brand of their church should not be pastors. Okay. I know what that guy mentioned before. Traveled around. Wanted to be all want to be the big conference speaker. Was never in his church. Not today. He still calls himself a pastor. He's there a couple times a year. He's always at a church doing a conference, this conference, that conference. That's not godly. There's no brand but Christ. That's what we should be building. Not even First Baptist Church. That's where we minister. But listen, I want other churches out preaching the gospel in our area. I want the gospel being preached everywhere. We're not in competition with other churches. This is not Vaughn's versus Albertsons or the same company. Vaughn's versus Ralph's. We're, we're not competing with another business for customers. At least we shouldn't be. Our sole motivation should be the glory of Christ, not the glory of ourselves. Amy and I knew somebody in Bakersfield who ran a pro-life ministry who was so troubled, so upset. She said, one day I'm going to retire from this or die or whatever, and somebody else is going to come along and abortion is going to be outlawed. The clinic's going to be closed down and they'll get all the praise for it after all our years of work. All she's concerned about is getting the praise and glory when success comes to the work. Not the work itself, not the glory of Christ. If you're involved in ministry and division comes up over who is in charge, it would be better to step aside and let the other person lead than to cause division. If your concern in doing something for God is whether you'll be seen or praised, you ought not do it at all. Right? That's what the Bible would teach us. Let's move on. I'm running out of time. I didn't tell it to you guys. I told my wife I thought I had a pretty short sermon today. I've got to stop saying that. If we aren't to do things to strive for vainglory, how are we to do things for God? Look back at verse 3b. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We're to have a low mind about ourselves. This is the very definition of humility, church, to have a low mind about ourselves. If we are humble, we'll have a low view of ourselves. Offense only comes when we have a high view of ourselves. Who do they think they're talking to, attitude? If we see ourselves as nobodies, then it's hard to be offended. Listen, every argument in the church, every argument in the church comes from one or two people thinking more of themselves than they ought to think. That's where it comes from. Just to be honest. If we see others better than ourselves, we'll never look down on them, we'll never mistreat them. We'll never break fellowship. We'll always seek reconciliation. Because even if there's a disagreement between us, I must be mistaken. They, I, they must have, they probably had the best motives in, in mind. I should just let that, tell my wife is, she gets me so angry. <laughs> they didn't mean anything by it. Yes, they did. I don't think so. <laughs> if I had that mind, <laughs> I wish I had that mind. I need to have that mind. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We are not to seek our own glory, praise, or applaud, but the glory, praise, and applause of others. We're to lift each other up, yeah. never ourselves. Amen. I've told this right before, a man named Reese Howells in Wales. Him and his friend began a, a mission together to reach the lost. And uh, they both worked in it together. And he felt the Lord tell him, you need to step aside. Your ministry will be intercession. You'll pray for him and for the ministry. He'll run the mission. And his first thought was, well, he runs the mission and it's successful. Everyone's going to think it was all his work. He said he went to God with that and God said, so what? So what? He learned that day. It doesn't matter if people know what I did or didn't do. So he went into the ministry of intercession. He he supported his friend in the work, and the mission took off and became big and huge and great. And his friend became publicized of this great work for God that he was doing. And Reese said, I felt satisfaction in the praise of my friend. Because there was no more self. There was no more self. I had to put that aside. See, when God see, why, why did God tell him to do that? Because God knew he had a lot of pride. 
That's why he came back to God and said, God, if I do this, everyone's going to know that it was all his work. And God's like, so what? So what? Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And by the way, back to the last verse real quick. Church problems will never happen if we're looking not to our own things, but to the things of others. What do churches fight over the weirdest things, don't they? The color of carpet. Churches have split over that. I want red carpet, but Tatsuo wants pink carpet. What, what, what should we do in this situation? The rest of you guys are sitting there watching us fight back and forth, red or pink. Well, the biblical thing is for one of us to say, all right, brother, pink it is. You like that a lot. It's your favorite color. <laughs> Poor Tetsuo. <laughs> I won't tell him Earl gave me $5 to be mean to him in the sermon today. But somebody needs to say, you know what? I, it doesn't matter what I want. They want that. That's okay. And maybe that person will go, you know what? It doesn't matter about the pink carpet. I'll, I'll have the red carpet. Then pretty soon you have this battle where you were fighting over what kind of carpet. Now you're battling over, no, yours. No, your idea is better. No, your That's a good problem to have. Don't take care for yourself. Take care for others. Minister to them. What do they want? You realize if everyone has the mindset of what do they want, no one's thinking of themselves. You do understand that, right? Then there's no conflict, because the only conflict you have is that everyone trying to meet everybody else's need. That's a good, good trouble to have. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Paul is now going to destroy every argument against his teaching on the issue of humility. He's telling us to think like Jesus. So the question is, in what way did Jesus think? Verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men. So the point Paul is making here is that whoever we think we are, however high our thoughts are about ourselves, we're wrong. Our thoughts about ourselves, Jesus was those things. And he humbled himself. All that we think that we think that we deserve, Jesus actually deserved. And he humbled himself and became a servant. However high you or I think ourselves to be, Jesus was higher and humbled himself. And by the way, we're not that high anyways. We've, de we've deceived ourselves. Right? So Paul saying. He became a servant to those lower than himself. Now our thoughts of ourselves are wrong. We are not as great as we believe that we are. But if Christ, who is worthy of all worship, can lower himself to be a servant, to wash the feet of his disciples, the lowest menial task in that society, then surely we can humble ourselves and put others before ourselves and look to every man's encouragement and uplifting. When we fill ourselves with pride and demand things be done our way, we are actually anti-Christ because that is not the way of Christ. Christ deserved to be exalted and yet he humbled himself. We deserve to be humbled, but we tend to exalt ourselves. So what does this mean for us? We should not have a spirit of strife. A fighting spirit does not belong in the church. We're called to be gentle and compassionate towards one another. When you feel the urge to fight in the church, repent instead. The church is not a place for that. Even from the pulpit, it's not a place for that. We're not to seek applause, glory, or praise for ourselves. Christ being glorified is our priority. We must decrease, he must increase. We should think low of ourselves and consider others better than ourselves. That will fix every strife between Christians. God deserves 
all the glory, and he became a servant. We who are mere servants should never elevate ourselves out of our position. Real quickly, I know we're almost out of time. Turn to Matthew 7, 12. I'll leave you with a few verses that talk about how we should act towards one another in the church. Matthew 7, 12. Very quickly. The Bible says, Therefore all things, whatsoever ye would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Basically, do to others as you want them to do to you. Don't do to others as they do to you. It's not what it says. It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Basic. Go to Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. As much grace as you have received from Christ, give to others. But you don't know what they did to me. What have you done to Christ? Oh, they keep doing the same thing over and over again, offending me. How many times have you committed the same sin against Christ? And he forgave you. As you've received, so we should give. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Christ commands us to love one another with the love of God. How does this look? Well, it looks like it's described in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to this and ask yourself, do you display this kind of love? Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Is that us today? It should be. We should be very long-suffering. I love you guys. I, don't, I try not to offend you guys. But me offending you one time, you shouldn't leave the church. Charity suffers long. And it's kind. And by the way, you offend me once, I shouldn't turn my back on you either. Or treat you differently. Or hold on to a grudge. Charity, love, God's love, suffers long. He suffered so long with me, didn't he? Yeah. For years, as I sinned over and over and over. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envy is not. That's a big problem. Envy in the church. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. In other words, Love says, they didn't mean to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to overlook it. It wasn't their fault. Verse 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. If we display love like this, church, we will have unity within the body of Christ. Love is the only, the only thing that matters. When dealing with other believers, love needs to be our driving force. When we're angry or offended, love needs to be our first consideration. If 1 Corinthians 13 and Philippians 2 were practiced, we wouldn't have church splits, people leaving angry, people jumping churches. Go to John 13, 34, our last passage. How do we promote unity within the body of Christ? It's right here. John 13, 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I have given to you, that ye love one another as... I have loved you, that ye also love one another. We're to love each other as Christ has loved us. Humility, grace, kindness, forgiveness, love, putting others before ourselves, seeking the good of others and esteeming them better than ourselves, the exaltation of Jesus, these are the keys to unity in the church. Let's not forget them. Let's hold them tight. Let's put them into practice and let's love each other and the lost as Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord, and for this time in the Word. I've been troubled about this trend. Even before I was a pastor, I was 
troubled by how quickly people got mad and left and never talked to each other again. How much disunity there was, how many church splits there were, how much infighting and jockeying for position I saw within the church. Lord, help us to not, not live that way. Lord, help us to love sincerely from the heart as we have been loved. Lord, we, we know this is not how the world teaches us to be. We know this is not what society expects from us, Lord, but it's what you expect. Give us, Lord, the humility of mind and that love of others that will unify the body of Christ. Lord, bless us now. Bless the offering to come and our dismissal, Lord. May our lives bring glory to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.